Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I need to pay more attention to what I'm wearing before we hit record. I think last episode I was wearing a shirt that was like, I don't know, like salmon colored, like just like a lightish beige pink, maybe. I don't know. And the amount of people who messaged me saying that they thought I started the episode shirtless. (laughs) (laughs) So do I just have a hole in the middle of mine? Yeah, quite possibly. Like it's, uh, you have a big red, like big pink Bauer logo. So it just looks like you're like a chestless shirt. Yeah, I just cut it out. Like, you know, I've been working on the abs lately, so you know it's like the underside of your of your uh, pecs and the top of your dad dad belly. What a great start to this episode! <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, this is one of the most important episodes we've ever had. We're there, we're there, um, folks. Welcome to the Wind Wheel Podcast. We're recording at pro- probably the weirdest time we've done, like near or past midnight. We've done before the crack of dawn, but this is probably one of the first times we've done it at this time of day around lunch. And that's because uh, we want to get this out to you sooner because this episode is featuring an interview with the one and only Elliot Friedman of uh, Sportsnet, 32 Thoughts, the podcast, Hockey Night in Canada, and everywhere else you see him in the world of being a hockey insider. It was a really great interview. It really was. Yeah. Um, you, you could see why he's so successful. <laughs> we, uh, we gave him, we ribbed him a bit because Merrick beat him on the show a few times, but no, it was a fantastic interview with Elliot and we're, we're changing the schedule a little bit today to make sure we get that out to you. And we're still going to cover our usual stuff. We're going to talk about the Red Wings. We're going to talk about newsy things in the world of Red Wings, the head coaching search, everything like that. But before all that, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll open. We won't make you wait. We're going to get right into that interview with Elliot Friedman um, and get his thoughts on the Red Wings, Steve Eisenman, uh, the rebuilds, what the world of a hockey insider looks like, some of his stories, and and so much more. Genuinely, it's one of the best interviews we've ever had. Um, we're going to talk about the Red Wings in terms of news regarding rumors about Tyler Bertuzzi. The Pontus Andreas, Andreasen signing was made official. There's movement in the world of coaching that is directly relevant to Detroit, or maybe not anymore. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the playoffs, and we'll, we'll we'll see where we're at for time. Because we also, there's some uh, NHL news, but we can make fun of the Arizona Coyotes on any day. It doesn't necessarily have to be today. That's the... Um Never the the bottomless well of content. It truly is. When in doubt, just see what the coyotes have done lately. <laughs> the past hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're 20 minutes short for content today. Google's Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Timeline within the last seven days. And we're good. Perfect. Uh before we get into the interview, I do want to mention uh the Jamie Daniels Foundation and all of the amazing work that this community has done to fundraise for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh we're nearing thirty thousand dollars for the Wings Money on the Board campaign, um, which was started uh in in partnership with our good friend of the podcast, Prashanth Iyer, who also joined us for the interview. So thank you, Prashanth, uh, on both of those fronts. Almost $30,000. So thank you all so, so very much. Uh, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to find out more uh, about the foundation and how you can support them. And also, part one of Prashant's uh, If I Were Steve Eisenman article series, which is rapidly expanding, is already up on the Winged Wheel podcast website on the blog section. So I'll put the link in the description of this episode. Uh, thousands of you have already read it, but uh, it's a really great start to what is now rumored to be, sources tell me, it's Prashanth, uh, expanding from a four to a five-part series. 
I really, really can't wait for you all to read it. There's some really excellent insights into coaching um, prospects, especially coming up soon. So read part one and get ready for part two, which should launch early for patrons on Friday, we're hoping, and then um, made public for everyone in a few days after that. Okay. We are joined on this episode by Elliot Friedman of 32 Thoughts. Again, one of our favorite interviews we've ever done. We really appreciate Elliot taking the time and we won't make you wait any further. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Elliot Friedman, Hockey Insider. Well, this has been a long time coming because I believe the score is currently 3-0 in favor of Jeff Merrick for appearances on the Winged Wheel podcast. So Elliot Friedman, thank you for joining us and congrats on getting your first point on the board. Well, I will say, no offense, guys, but this is one victory I'll let Merrick have. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast's first ever interview with Elliot Friedman, who you very well know from uh, his excellent work in Sportsnet, 32 Thoughts, the podcast with Jeff Merrick and uh, Amal Delich, and uh, obviously the world of being a hockey insider. Uh, Elliot, welcome, and how are you today? I'm great, guys, and uh, thanks for having me. I, I know you guys have tried for a while. I, I kind of like I'm going to reset at the end of this year. I'm basically going to say that everybody who sent me a podcast invitation, resend it, and I'll try to make up for it. Uh, I remember what it was like to be young and starting out, and there were a lot of people who were really helpful to me. So as I get older, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pay it back. So I'm, I'm trying to get to everybody. So I appreciate your patience. Oh, no, well, it's it's much appreciated that you're on, and you do uh, quite a service to the hockey world. So, by no means are you indebted to to anyone in that respect. So, I'm going to open with one question, and this is actually one that I got from Merrick. Okay, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's a little <laughs> bit scary for you. What a disaster! <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff said to ask, how many times exactly does your phone kick out during your car casts? You know what happened was um, Toronto has a lot of really bad potholes in the neighborhood that we live in. So when I'm driving home at the end of the night, like basically, if, for those of you who are not familiar with our city and people, anyone from Toronto who listens to this will nod their head. The moment the weather turns decent, the construction starts. Like you can't drive anywhere. It's awful. And the people of the city really hate it. And the streets are really potholy and if i hit big ones it knocks my uh my it knocks my car play offline so it'll happen like three times a podcast and it's really infuriating i hate it he hates it so the answer is probably about three it's pretty funny he told you that though <laughs> well um credit to Amal because i know that has to be uh something oh, in production <laughs> yeah that sucks it really sucks Speaking of difficult to work with, and I promise that's the last uh, slide I'll take, um, <laughs> bringing this over to the Detroit Red Wings, your line of work is within knowing everything, getting information, extracting it from people who maybe don't want you to have it. How different is your line of work when it comes to working with and around Steve Eisman versus other GMs? Well, I, I knew I was going to get this question coming on this podcast, so I, I figured I, I'd better prepare an answer. Um Look, I, I, I have, I have a lot of respect for everything that, I, number one, I just want to say I have a, a lot of respect, uh, for everything that he's accomplished in his career and life. Uh, um, you know, he, he's a huge success by any measurement of a model. Uh, he has a way of doing business and he likes to be secretive. 
he likes to be uh, very, very secretive. And he takes it almost as a personal affront if anything gets out that he doesn't want uh, people to know. Um, I joke now on the podcast that he is Lamorello Light and Verbeek is Iserman Light. Like, that's my, those are my nicknames for all those guys. Um, you know, I would say that uh, reporting on Tampa when he was there, and, you know, now that he's gone, Tampa hasn't changed. They take a lot of pride in still being very, very quiet about things that come out of there. He's he's definitely left his imprint in that organization in that way. But Detroit is, is, is very tough to find out things. And I'm, I'm sure you guys heard me tell the story on a podcast recently where I called someone who I think will be in the mix and they said to me, I'm not talking to you because if Eisenman <laughs> finds out, I'm not getting this job. So, like, you know, like, I understand. Like, I do. Um, and, and I will say this. There have been times when I've, when I've been dealing with Eisenman over the years where I didn't get something completely right, 100% right. Or I, there was one case where I did something really stupid. And he gets really mad about it. And in those cases, it's no one's fault but my own. Um, but, you know, I... He makes it really challenging. He puts the fear of God into people around him that they don't want to be known as talking to me. You know, I, on, on some level, it's, on some level, you kind of enjoy the challenge. If you ever do figure anything out there, it's kind of like, you know what? Uh, it's Iserman 10,000, you know, other reporters won. So, but it, <laughs> I, I think we all know the way it is going to be going in. So is it somewhat common then uh, with Detroit and Iserman to get, 75% of a story and you want to go, but you're just not a hundred percent sure. And then you run into the fear of, Oh yeah, I don't want to piss this guy off and have to deal with this for the next, however long while trying to already get tough stories out of Detroit. You know, honestly, Brad, I don't think I really look at it that way. It's, it's um, like, I, I think, you know, if you almost get anything, he's not going to be happy about it. And so that's just the way it is. I mean, if you get something and you feel confident in it, you go with it and, you know, you understand that he, he's not going to be happy. Um, but he, he makes it really hard. Like, he's got a very limited amount of people he really gives information to. Um, you know, one of the things is it's not a Canadian team. So my focus, because I work for Hockey Night in Canada, my focus, like, if, if, he worked, if he worked on a team in Canada... I would probably be quote unquote on them a lot more trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and I think also because Detroit is at the lower end of its cycle right now, although it's showing signs of coming out of it, I think that that happens too. Um, but, um, I just think, you know, going in that, like, like I remember, like one of the conversations I had with him years ago was, was he was upset about something I reported, which I knew to be correct. And, you know, he didn't like that I got it. And I think it was one of those stories where you get almost all of it right, but there was like one small detail, whether you didn't have it right or you didn't have it a hundred percent. And, you know, we had a, we had a disagreement about it. And I said, well, I reached out to you and, and his, and he said, it's not my job to confirm or deny your stories. And my position to him was, you know, okay. Um, but like, you know, I said to him, you can't be upset if, you know, 3% of the story is wrong 
if you're not going to do it, not going to, you know, confirm or deny. And he disagreed with that. And like, it's like, I want to make it very clear. It's not like I dislike Steve Eiserman. I I don't or anything like that. I just understand that this is, these are the terms he sets. And because he is Steve Eiserman, he, and he's very successful at what he does. He's a very good executive. He can set those terms. So what I, the, the, the one thing I said to him in that particular case was that, like, I just disagree with him saying, him being upset because he had a chance to talk to me about it and he just ch- chose not to do it. But that's his way. I, I like, I, I don't have a problem with it. I understand it. I just think, you know, like I said, we all know the rules going in. He, he's really secretive. He's really private. He doesn't let information going out. And if I'm wrong on something, and there was one really moronic thing I did on th- that, that he, he definitely lets me know that I'm an idiot in that particular case. Well, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about that rebuild cycle? Because you said uh, the Red Wings are, you know, near the bottom and coming up. You have a national view on on the NHL while we focus in on the Red Wings. So I want to get your take on the rebuild overall, you know, how long this has gone on, timelines, which I know Eisman rolls his eyes anytime he's asked about a, a, a timeline. What's your take on on where the Red Wings are at and a potential decision that Eisman might have this summer and Prashanth has been doing a lot of great work on this uh with his if I were Steve Eisman series for the winged wheel podcast site um the two paths that Eisman has of either you know really bringing this team up to be closer to a playoff competitor or kind of pairing it back and, and aiming for the 2023 draft uh with with Machkov uh, and Bedard and Fantilli over there well I like the one thing is, first of all, I think you should be interviewing Prashant about this and not me, because I because like last year, Prashant did he do like everything you wrote? Yeah, well, just he got just about everything right down to the dollar. I think there was I was off by about a hundred thousand so. dollars. You know, I had to say when I read that when I read all that stuff last year, I said to someone, I can't remember who I said this to. I wish I did. I said, why doesn't Eiserman just hire this guy? Like that's that was what my reaction was, because um, that was really good work, Prashant. Really good work. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that like, I look at the team and, you know, you, you start to see it, right? Like you, you know, like th- the one thing is there was, they had a press conference this year where they hired Lidstrom and I waited to the end when everybody asked the questions about Lidstrom. And I just said, I just asked him, I said, your team seems to be really getting better. You know, when do you, when do you kind of start to add to it? And he said, as you guys said, he said, I don't really look at it that way. Um, you know, I, I think the, the one thing that kind of stands out right now to me is, is that there's your, where you are clock in terms of when you can reasonably think you can contend. And there's also the clock about what your contracts dictate you have to and not have to do. Right. And there, you know, there's one, like the one clock you can see they're building. They've got pieces like cider, I think is going to be rookie of the year this year. And, you know, Raymond is obviously another key building play, uh, block and you've got more guys coming. But like, I look at it now, you know, is Iserman going to sign Larkin? Is Iserman going to sign Bertuzzi? Um, and if the answer to those questions is no, or he's going to move somebody, um, you know, you also have to wonder what does that do to your clock? And because I, like, I do think there's interest I mean, look, if I don't get any sense that Larkin is available as we're talking right now. And, and if he was, I mean, I think all you guys know there would be a ton of interest in him after the year he had. 
I do think potentially Bertuzzi is available, and I do think there is going to be interest. Um, I just look at that and I say, what's that going to do to the timeline? Like, what's that going to mean for your team? Like, I could see it's possible. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I could see it's possible that I, the team next year is in this stage of we're growing and we're not ready to contend yet. I'm glad you brought up Tyler Bertuzzi. He's going to be a hot topic this summer, uh, especially yeah. now with Toronto's again first round exit. It's long been it's been long since rumored that uh, Bertuzzi's been on their list. I think you've reported that he was their number one guy a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a, a, a trade offer I think two years ago that Toronto made right at the deadline. Do you know? Can you share a little bit more about what that trade offer was, if you know? And and do you think that Toronto makes another concerted push this offseason? Well, I, I I don't know what it was. I I, I would say this that I, I got a little bit of pushback on that particular statement only because Bertuzzi was injured, right? And so I, I think that because he was basically, it's a little bit of semantics and it's a little bit of me saying something I probably could have phrased a little bit better. I think that he was very high on Toronto's list. He was the, a guy they were very interested in. But because he was injured, they realized it didn't make a lot of sense at the time. So I think that I, you know, I, I think if I would have said he was their number one guy on their list, you know, well before he, before he got hurt, I, that might have been more accurate. But I think at the deadline, it wasn't the case because he was out. Um, but there, you know, like I think that's the kind of player Toronto needs. And I think that they have identified that kind of player as a need. I know they've had interest. I mean, the other thing too here is, is the whole vaccination issue, right? We don't know where this is going. So that kind, that's, a, that's obviously a huge deal. Uh, I don't think under current circumstances that, that just couldn't work. So we'd have to see if that could, uh, if that's something that would change. But I, I do put it this way. I do think, I mean, you look at the way he plays, you look at the way he produced this year. If Detroit makes him available, there's going to be a lot of interest in that kind of player. And uh, I'm sure we'll find out with a 1 a.m. midnight or 1 a.m. <laughs> tweet from the team account that the uh, <laughs> that the trade has happened. Um, this is a, a question that we got uh, uh, from a friend of ours. Uh, and I know you've, you you alluded to a little bit of this when you were talking about working with Steve Eisenman. Has there ever been a time when you've had, you know, a disagreement or a miscommunication with a player, a coach, or ex- an exec uh, where in the end it actually ended up helping your relationship with them? Uh, you know, I just think that if you're – like in, in this job, you know, someone once asked me, you know, how much do you think you really know about the league? And I said probably about 10%. And they said, 10%, that seems really low. And I said, you know, I'm picking up news here and there, but I'm not making decisions. And I think to really know what's going on, you've got to be somebody who makes decisions. So there's, I mean, I try to make calls. Like, like social media has really changed the speed of it. Um, you know, it used to be, you know, when before social media got out there, you know, if you wrote, I remember I was talking about this with a writer, if you wrote, the, if you got a scoop, you know, you, you basically had all day to write your story and then it came out in the next day's paper, right? And that's, that doesn't work anymore. And it's a competitive business. There's a lot of good reporters in this league that are looking for information. And so I don't like it all the time, but Twitter has changed it. And I always do try to call people. I always do try to get information, but there's always going to be things like one of the funniest things about it sometimes is that 
people won't tell you things and then you put something out there and then they're like, oh, okay, well now you've put it out there. I guess I got to tell you what's going on. But that leads to, I don't know if sloppiness is the right word, but it leads to not getting the whole picture. And there have been times people have called me up and, you know, given it to me. And sometimes, like I said, in one particular case with Iserman, I really deserved it and you just got to eat it. And, um, but other times, you know, I, I think it can, it can lead to that, Ryan, where you simply, I simply say to someone, Hey, you know, you made this harder on yourself here. Um, and I, I, like I've had one, I remember I had one guy who's one of the, my best friends now kind of in the business. I don't know if friends or acquaintances in the business. And he called me up. It was the first time he'd ever spoken to me. He's yelling and screaming at me. And, and I hung up the phone and he, and he called me back and he's like, what, what happened there? And I said, look, like, I understand you're mad at me, but you're not going to talk to me like that. Like, if you have a problem, then, you know, you can, you can, you can get mad at me. You can swear at me. You can tell me what, uh, you know, that you wished I was never born. You can tell me all that stuff, but you're going to tell it to me in a, in a reasonable manner. And I, I think most people kind of get that. I, I think, Ryan, the, the toughest thing now is I remember years ago, I had, I had, I, one, I called one guy and he said, you know, I, I really hate when you call me. And I go, I go, why is that? He goes, because I'm just wondering what grenade you're about to launch in my organization. And, and I, I just think as I've gotten older, um, you know, when I started, I was 23. Uh, now I'm 52 almost. You know, I've got a family. I do see, you know, the effect that some of my work can have. And... Um, I, I, I think I'm a lot more sensitive to that now than I was when I was younger, simply because I didn't have a family. So, Elliot, a few weeks ago, I was reading an article about um, NBA insider uh, Sham Sharania. Yeah. And it was super fascinating. And obviously, being a hockey fan, my mind jumped to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was talking about how he gets anxiety if a flight doesn't have uh, Wi-Fi in it. <laughs> he only sleeps four hours a night. So... Obviously, I want to dive into your career a little bit because it's super fascinating. So what is a day in the life of Elliot Friedman look like in the middle of a hockey season? Well, I read that article on him and I identified with not all, but a lot of the things in there. Um, you know, I uh, if someone like I do get people who say to me like they'd like to become an insider and you know, I will send them, I've sent them that article since then. Like there's a couple of people who have reached out to me and I've sent them that article. And I said, it doesn't have to be this extreme, but it can be like, you know, I, like I, I read some people who wrote, like, I think that's really sad and, and I, I wouldn't want to live like that. And I don't like that. I, I think he's making a choice. And if that's, I like, I probably don't agree with everything I, I, or I wouldn't want to do anything, everything that's there. But I understand it. And the other thing, too, I understand is this is his life goal. And, you know, I've read a lot about Shams and, and, and uh, you know, kind of the path he took. And I, and I have respect for his work. I, I think he sets a, a very good picture of the kind of mentality you have to have if you want to do this job properly. And I don't like people who say that it's sad. I don't think it's sad. I think it's, it's his choice. And if that's the way he wants to live his life, and maybe when he gets older and has a family, he might change it. Um, I, I would just say, Brad, that um, like uh, 
I used to, like when I, like there would be times, yes, when I knew, like, like I will tell you, I, I, when Eric Carlson was signing in San Jose, I'd been chasing that story for two or three days and it broke as I was taking off on a plane and I was like, fuck, I can't do this. <laughs> I've been, I've been working on this for a couple of days and I can't close this as much as I would like to. Um, so I know that feeling. I think. You know, now I'm older. I have a 10 year old. Like, if you're going to do this job properly, you're all in. You are all in. Like, what, what he wrote is accurate. I think now, as we come out of COVID, and I think a lot of us are kind of looking at our lives right now, I have thought about is there a better way to do this? Like, my wife, uh, who's like Stephanie, she's like, she is like the, the patron saint of wives. I don't know how many of you guys are married, but there's no way your wife is better than my wife. <laughs> the crap she puts up with is incredible. She'll look at me sometimes and she'll say, are you listening to me? And that really, like, it's, it makes me feel very guilty. I do look at my phone too much. Um, like, 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 for example, Brad, during the playoffs, you're burning the candle at both ends, right? Because sleep is so important. Like, I'm working almost every day. You know, when we do the car cast, like I get into the car, the games land about, like, for example, last night's game ended about one o'clock. Um, I got into, I, I get downstairs, I, I go to the car, we start the podcast about one fifteen. we finish it after two. And then, you know, actually, I'm pretty good. I can fall asleep pretty quickly. I'm very lucky that way. I have people I know after the show, they, they can't fall asleep till five o'clock. So, you know, I'll sleep till nine thirty, ten o'clock. Um, and then the thing that sucks about that is if I do sleep till nine thirty, ten o'clock, I don't see my son before he goes to school. Right. So, but then like during the day you're sending texts, like yesterday I'm working on the Barry Trotz interview in Winnipeg and then you go in for the game. So, you know, like I'm not complaining about it. I do love it. I, I really love the playoffs. It's the best time of the year and the games have been excellent. But Brad, like put it this way. If I, if I got home one night and the locks were changed, I wouldn't, you know, really blame her too much. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a point earlier in this interview where I was muted for about three minutes because my wife was downstairs and I don't know what my two-year-old was doing, but uh, they were not having a good time and the mic would have picked it up. But uh, to kind of continue with your career, because now that gets me, my mind going about uh, maybe some stories you had in the past, like what's your... I don't know what to call it, your biggest win and your biggest loss were like, how did I miss that one? Or that one came out of absolute nowhere, or I can't believe I broke this story as quick as I did and got it before everybody else was even on the radar. You know, I, I Brad, I, I'm really not great at that because I'm very much a, like, uh, I think like a player in those ways. Like if you have 80 great games in a row and then your last game stunk, I tend to think about the last one and I don't dwell on the wins. Like over the years, I've had a lot of wins and I've had a lot of losses. Um, and like people ask me, who's the best insider in hockey? And my answer is, it's the person who broke the last big story. Like that's who the best insider is. And I think that, um, like I remember interviewing Mark Messier once and I asked him, like, when did you, because remember Mark Messier's career started, he got sent down to the minors. Like they would say, like, I don't know if this guy's going to figure it out to make it. And I said to him, you know, when did you think you made it? And he goes, honestly, I tried never to think that way. I always tried to think like I had something to prove. And, and I think that's such a great mentality. Like my favorite was Michael Jordan. And I always loved how, like I've told the story before about my, I went to a game, I covered a game because I covered a lot of the Raptors early, Bulls Raptors. 
And in the third year, the Raptors traded Damon Stoudemire and they played the, at their peak Bulls who were about to win their, I think it was their sixth, uh, their sixth championship. And they had eight players on the roster and they were going to get killed and, and they knew it. And there were 30,000 people there at the old, at the Sky Dome, which is where the Raptors played at the time. And I'll never forget this. Jordan, Jordan at the half had three points and the Bulls were up by like 30. And my seat was right next to the Bulls bench. That was my radio seat was right next to the Bulls bench. And Phil Jackson walked up to Michael Jordan at the start of the third quarter. And he said, uh, Michael, why don't you take the rest of the night off? And he go, and he looked up and he goes, I haven't given these fans their show yet. And he scored, I think, 19 points in the third quarter. It was ridiculous. The crowd was going bananas. Raptors lost by 40. And, and then he walked by him at the end of the third quarter and he said, okay, now you can take me out. And I just, I just remembered that. Like, I, I remember sitting there that night going like, holy crap. Like, this is the best player. Maybe in, like, to me, like, I know LeBron's done a lot of great things, will always be a Jordan stand. Like, to me, he's the best player in the history of the, of the NBA. And he knew that there were 35,000 people in the building that night who bought tickets to see him and he gave them their show. And that always, to me, that separates the, the good from the great. And I want to be the best I can be. I'm not always the best I can be, but I want to be. And, and I think, Brad, honestly, like, the biggest win I have is hopefully the next one. And the biggest loss I have will probably be the next one. And uh, I don't like that. I'm still competitive. The other people I compete against, they're very competitive. I would bet a lot of them think the same way. Elliot, honestly, I think you're far too mentally stable uh, for Twitter. Uh, <laughs> But you talking about Michael Jordan, I kind of got the wheels turning on another question just because obviously you dealt with just about every player in the league at some point. Who's hockey's Michael Jordan, but not in terms of skill level, but that mentality of just, Hmm. it's not enough we win, I have to dominate. Um, That is a fantastic question. That is a, that is, that is a, a great question. You know, Chris Pronger was a lot like that. Like, you know, he, he didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to beat you and beat you up. Like, you know, that was like, I, you know, I know a lot of people didn't like Pronger. Um, I actually really like his Twitter threads right now. Like, I know some people don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, people don't like what he says. Like, we want people to tell us what the, what's behind the curtain, what life is really like. And he's doing that. And, people are getting mad about it like i i don't get it like pronger that's you know i'm trying to think now let me just look at let me just look at the standings because i find that that helps me um kind of pick through teams and things like that and jar and you know like i eiserman was a lot like that i mean you guys know his nickname was cutthroat that he would do anything like and on and i do admire that in in ways like you know, like we just did a podcast with Marty San Louis, and you know, one of the things he talks about was telling players like to win in the NHL is hard. Like it's hard. You have to be like you know, I, like I know like people talk about should hockey players play with the injuries they do. My answer to that always is like if if there's something you really want in life, whether it's hockey or something else, you're gonna put your body on the line to accomplish it. Like. um you know, whether it's hockey, it's going to medical school, it's it's anything. If you really care about it, let me just look through a lot of this quickly. Um, I'm trying to think like guy like people who have that kind of an like I think Cro- I think Crosby is is wired that way. He wants to beat you. He wants to beat you, and 
I don't think he does it in a mean way, but he wants to dominate you. I have a I have a ton of respect for him. You know, I think Brad Marchand would be another guy like that. Like he wants to beat you and he wants to embarrass you. Yes. Um, he could take a few angles on that. One. Yes, he, he, <laughs> he, he, like I've met a lot of people who were really like Daniel Alfredson, who was probably my favorite guy to cover, was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He was so pissed off in a Stanley Cup final. He, you know, he shot the puck at Niedermeyer in the middle of a game. Um, you know, I think Billy Guerin is probably wired a lot that way. You've seen the choices he's made. Um, the the uh, you know I, I I think there's there's probably more than I'm giving credit to, but you know Pronger was the first one that kind of came to my mind because he didn't just want to beat you; he wanted to beat you up, and he wanted you to know it. And I kind of always was fascinated by that attitude. Well, it's interesting that a lot of the names you give uh, either are GMs in the NHL now or are in management or coaching in the NHL now. So that definitely seems like a trait that could translate into a post-playing career. Who do you think's next on the list? <laughs> well, I think the thing is, Brad, is that if you're going to be a good GM, you have to make very difficult decisions. Um, and uh, I think, you know, one of the things that happens is I remember Tim Taylor told me this when he retired. I think he was in Tampa, I want to say. I can't remember where he first went. Um, but wherever it was, he told me that his first game, he was in the press box with the other executives, and he couldn't believe how they were talking about the players. And he goes, did you guys talk about me like this? And uh, he, and I, I think that to be a successful executive, like you can still treat people right, obviously, but you have to make decisions that are really hard. And you have to tell people that they're not good enough to play anymore or not good enough to play for your team anymore. And I, I think that's a hard thing to do. I, I look at, you know, this, like this group. Um, I wonder, like, will Crosby be an executive? Like Jason Spezza, I think will be an executive. Um, I think Nick Lidstrom could be a phenomenal executive I, I i really do i think that's that's a very very interesting one but i i, I see spezza i see crosby um like th like spezza i think for sure will be one i'm trying to think as i as i go through kind of somebody told me once that blake como would be a heck of a coach i don't really know blake como very well but i've been told about him before that he i, I would be very curious with, with patrice bergeron ever do it like he he's he's someone i wonder about and um and where's what's joe thornton gonna do like where what's joe thornton gonna do when his career's over like these are all pretty interesting people and thornton like thornton i've heard he's another one of those guys i think it, he liked to win and he liked to let you know that he won Thornton's going to grow out his or keep his beard and then join Sportsnet and people yeah. aren't going to know the difference between you and him on air. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Believe me, they'll know the difference between me and him. I, I would say too, like if BXA ever wants to do it, um, that I think he'd be great at. And the other person, and I, and uh, she's kind of taken a bit of a, a backseat now during the playoffs. Just she wants to enjoy it. Like I've always thought that Cassie would be, would be a really smart executive. 
So I had just a couple fast questions here. You mentioned Lidstrom there, and I was hoping to get your take. The oh, Lidstrom- and by the way, I should mention, Ryan, now that we're – I'm just broadening my horizons a bit. Yeah. Haley Wickenheiser was one of yes. the toughest yeah. I've ever seen. Like she – like during a game in, in terms of competition, man, she she was she was tough. She was absolutely tough. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best to ever do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the Lidstrom hire – that was obviously an exciting time for Red Wings fans just because, you know, it's it's bringing back the old guard and it feels good. And, and those are some of the best players of all time now heading up your team. That usually is a great thing. But in terms of the scope and, and why you think the Red Wings and Eisenman brought him in, you know, was that a player development thing? Is that just an, a general advisement thing? Was that Lidstrom wanting to get his his feet in the water? What's your read on that? I would think that I would think it's probably the, the number one thing that I think Steve Eisenman does anything is does it make our team better? And, you know, I, I think Eiserman obviously would have a lot of respect for the way Lidstrom thinks. Um, you know, one of the stories I always liked about Lidstrom actually came to me from Mike Babcock. And, uh, you know, I, I asked him once, and I won't say who it was, but there was a player who didn't make the Olympic team. And I asked Babcock why he didn't make the Olympic team. And he told me that um, this was a player who believed they were important. And I said, okay. And he goes, the thing about Nick Lidstrom in Detroit is he's the best player in the league and he doesn't think he's important. He just thinks like if you ask him his opinion, he'll tell you his opinion and he's very perceptive and he knows exactly what he's doing, but he didn't think he was important. And I I think that is a, a trait that I really try to keep. I don't know that I'm always successful at it, but I really try to keep that. And I, I think people like that are so incredibly valuable. People who are smart, people who know things, uh, people who are uh, super good at what they do, but do it in a way that it doesn't like destroy your organization. And you can never have too many of those people. I think the other thing too is, is that if you look at Eiserman's history, he's never been afraid of Russians when a lot of other people were afraid of Russians. Uh, he's, he's never been afraid to look at things a little differently. And I'm sure he looks at Nicholas Lidstrom living in Sweden and how smart Lidstrom is and says, you know, I, I think you're an asset to our organization. And at the end of the day, that's all I think Steve Eiserman cares about. Do we make ourselves better with Nick Lidstrom? Yeah, we do. Then we're going to find room for Nick Lidstrom. I think he always knew Verbeek was going to leave. Steve Eiserman pushed for Verbeek a lot. He, for years, he put, he said that Pat Verbeek should be a GM of a team. As a matter of fact, I think Steve Eiserman, who never gives leaks anything to anyone, was leaking to people that Pat Verbeek should be a general manager, which I, you know, I, I got time for. I understand that. So I, I think that he felt that there was the time would come, and he needed somebody else there. All right. Well, uh, Elliot, I know full well it's not the warmest day outside, so we're going to let you go. You know what? I've got seven more minutes. If you've got anything else you guys want to do. Well, I actually have a, a pretty silly question, so we always have okay. time for that. <laughs> What's your most Merrick-esque rule change idea to improve the game? You know, two blockers, whatever other crazy shit he comes up with on the pod. What is the one that lives in your head? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's not it, it's not a rule, but a couple weeks ago, he actually was, I think it was last week after the draft lottery, he said, do you think that Arizona should trade this year's first rounder and next year's first rounder, which is the Connor Bedard draft? for the number one pick this year. 
And I was like, well, Jeff, I wouldn't even allow Arizona to offer that. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> and there was a there was a scout who told me that he was listening to the podcast. And he almost drove off the road when he heard Mark's <laughs> idea. He says, he said, I'm I'm glad you answered that because I don't know how anybody could even suggest Arizona could do that. He goes, he, he like this is a guy. He like he he he's a great guy. He rips on me all the time. He says the only time that you ever sound smart is when Merrick comes up with one of his dumb ideas. And he goes, that was the worst ever. I don't know how you could answer that with a straight face. Yeah. So if your wife is the patron saint of wives, then Amal has to be the patron saint of podcast producers to for putting up with you too. <laughs> you know, he's like I will tell this to anybody uh, who asks. He is the star of the podcast. There's no question about it um so, you know sometimes i'm like um oh, we'll get this up faster um but you know i i'll never i'll never have a problem with someone trying to make something sound as best as it possibly can he's he's a stud and we're thank god we've got him because we'd be lost without him do you um i've always wondered with 32 thoughts there's there has to be some kind of pressure to always have you know, news and in hockey's not the NBA and hockey's mm -hmm. not the NFL. And sometimes the news is dry. The news is that, you know, some third pairing defenseman has finally decided which of the three teams he's going to sign with in the offseason, And that's all you have for weeks. Is there a pressure to have more newsiness on, on 32 thoughts, especially as it's grown and become, you know, one of the hockey podcasts? Um, I think you I, like, I, there is pressure. Like, you know, one of the things I try to do, Ryan, is, is, is I have a rule. Like, everything I do, can I tell people two things they didn't know before? That's kind of my rule. Like, every time I go to air, every time I do a podcast, every time I come on with you guys, like, every time I, I, I go on with Merrick, it's can I come up with two things? And I think I'm on so much right now, it's made it harder, but it's still my rule. Like the, the one thing I learned and, and is, is don't reach. If it's not there, it's not there. And no matter how much you want to do it, if it's not there, it's not there. Cause if you reach it, it's wrong or it's incomplete. You know, as we talked before, you've got problems. So like uh, I generally, I, I think that I'm, I'm able to like, Ron, I remember there was one a couple of years ago. It was early in the season. There wasn't much going on. And I put it out and someone texted me like 10 minutes later, a GM. And he said, this is the thinnest blog ever. There's one piece of news and 31 stories. And I'm like, well, freaking do something to help me out. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are weeks like that. Uh, there are weeks like that, Ryan, it does happen. I've just learned you can't force it. If it, if it's not there, it's, it's not there. Well, I mean, on the flip side of it, these playoffs have been so full of storylines and content and excitement. We now have the Battle of Florida and the Battle of Alberta. And you, obviously, I mean, I feel like hockey fans often stay up watching that with you alongside it and your uh, your team abbreviations, which everyone loves universally. <laughs> um, what's that been like covering these playoffs a little bit more of a normal one after COVID and Maybe if we can ask, can we ask for predictions? Are you allowed to do that? Sure. Yeah, I can. I can do predictions. I'm terrible. I went six and two in the first round. The two I got wrong were uh, I got Carolina wrong, I, and because I just I wasn't I'm not I wasn't a big Ronta guy, and I picked Boston, and I lost that one. And the other one I got wrong was uh, Minnesota. I picked, exact uh, same. I, I picked yeah, Minnesota identical to mine, and they got they got beat. Um, you know, I, first of all, I think these playoffs have been excellent. I, I, I knew in the beginning there were a lot of blowouts and people didn't like that. But the good thing you were kind of sensing is that even though they were blowouts, they were going back and forth. So you got a sense we could get uh, a lot of long series. And anytime I think you get a situation where you get 
only one of the seven, only one of the eight series goes less than six games. You've got a, a W in the first round. And the other thing I'm wondering now is this is, this is the first time I can remember where they set it up, at least since I've been doing this, where they set it up so that the game sixes and se- the game sevens could be played on Saturday, Sunday. Like I'm wondering if they look at that as a win for them and they say from here on in, because they always used to start the playoffs on a Wednesday, right? I wonder if they say from now on we're starting the playoffs on a Monday so we can set up games six and seven for weekends and for like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a thing. I think it's been fantastic. I think, um, I think the players have given us great entertainment. I think the games have been excellent. Most of the series have been excellent. The second round tends to be a downer. And if you watch those games last night, like, you know, Florida wasn't themselves. Tampa dictated. And I mean, I don't know, Colorado, they look like they're going to go 16 and 0. Uh, but this was the point where they fell apart last year. So we'll see. Um, I just think the quality of it's been great. I predicted at the beginning of the playoffs that Colorado was going to win the cup. I don't ever change that pick until the team is out. Um, I think it's going to be Colorado Calgary. And I think it's going to be, um, I never pick against Tampa, even though I not sure it's always a great idea. I never pick against them. So I'll go, uh, I'll go Tampa Carolina. I don't like going chalk, but I guess I'm going. <laughs> Well, I guess I'm picking Tampa, so there's one that's not chalk. It bodes well or poorly for for one of us that uh, three of us here had the exact same first round bracket. So it's it's either an indictment or, or a vote of confidence. <laughs> who who didn't who who did uh, Prashanth? What did you have? So not that uh, the passion. Well, yeah, I picked the Leafs. This was the first time I've ever picked the Leafs, and uh, you know they let me down there in Game Seven. So did you go seven and one then? No, 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 no. I, I missed on Carolina as well, and I missed on Minnesota as well. So okay. I went five and three. See, I know what happened. You've got so many thoughts going there that you just overthought it, right? So I just, you, yeah, yeah completely, completely overthought it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. This has been Elliot Friedman. Um, Elliot, in lieu of trying to get you to accept a speaking fee, we're going to be making a donation to the Holland Blue Review uh, Kids Rehabilitation Hospital uh, to say thanks for coming on the show. And uh, congrats again for getting one on the board on Merrick. We hope to have you back again soon. My pleasure, Ryan. I, I really appreciate if uh, I wouldn't have taken anything for doing this, but I really do appreciate that you donating to that uh, hospital. It's a, that place does phenomenal work. Fantastic. All right. Good luck with the rest of the playoffs, Elliot. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Welcome back. That was our interview with Elliot Friedman. Uh, Friedge, thank you so much again for joining the show and for bearing with us as we we took our free shots about uh, Merrick beating him on and and Amal having to put up with him. But awesome, awesome insights and um, really great stories he brought forward. Like the even though you can get almost nothing out of anyone regarding what it's like to work with with Steve Eisenman, um, what Elliot told us about what it's like to work with Steve Eisman and especially in terms of like Eisman needling him when he got things wrong or like being pissed people being pissed off in general when he gets things wrong it's a really cool look behind the curtain seems difficult working with Steve (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody's surprised no or thought any different of uh Eisman it it was nice getting the confirmation and by difficult working with him I mean unless you're working on the team with him with the goal of bringing a Stanley Cup to Detroit. And I mean, it's his job to be this way, but then there's, he's not going to help you. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. No. It's, it's absolutely how Steve Eisenman should be. Yes. Uh, it's how most gyms 
should be for Elliot's sake. I'm glad most GMs are not like that. <laughs> uh, I do Red, love for a Red Wings fan's sake. I'm glad Steve Eisenman is like that. Yeah, I do love that. The one thing he leaked though probably was about Verbeek. Like that's just really wholesome. <laughs> like Eisenman pushing Verbeek as as a should be GM is really really great. All right. Uh, before we get into the rest of it, I do want to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives us hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They are simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, going six for eight in the first round after having a slow start was very rewarding in that regard. Uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-979, 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. As Toronto news goes, the hockey world's news goes, whether people like it or not, and what did we say the storyline would be if Toronto made another first-round exit this year? Whether they are going to tear everything down or keep largely the same group, there's going to be a move made, and they are going to try to bring in someone with tenacity, with grit, with you know skill and productivity still. And it doesn't matter if you're a Red Wings fan. It doesn't matter if you're a Leafs fan. It doesn't matter if you're a Florida Panthers fan. When someone talks to you about that, the first name that comes up in terms of, you know, eligibility to acquire is Tyler Bertuzzi. That's come up again. I mean, Fridge just talked to us about it. He clarified a few things in terms of uh, previous trade interest from the Leafs. But they've had it for a couple of years now. And with the whole caveat of we don't know what's going to go on with vaccination status or uh, border rules or anything like that. No one can know. Um, this could be a summer where Toronto pushes hard for Tyler Bertuzzi or a Tyler Bertuzzi type. So what does that look like? So there's a few things working here. The first, which you kind of already mentioned not a lot of players like Tyler Bertuzzi in the league and there's even fewer who will ever be available for trade so whether or not Steve Eisenman is going to trade Tyler Bertuzzi we still don't know that he's been in rumors for a while but that doesn't mean he's gone um because the thing is when you get a player like Tyler Bertuzzi there's a lot of value in keeping a player like Tyler Bertuzzi so yes. that, that has to be in the background of this entire conversation now, obviously, there's the other conversation. While his age relative to the Red Wings timeline and his upcoming contract status, yeah, it's complicated. So just from the standpoint of as of right now, if a team were to acquire Tyler Bertuzzi, it's as a one-year rental because that's when he's a UFA. Yeah. Now, there's always, you know, if, if they wait till July to make the trade, then there's, you know, extension possibilities, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm 
not going to get into that because that just adds another layer that I'm too tired for. <laughs> so I'll get into it. Don't worry. Traditionally, one year rentals do get a pretty heavy return, um, much more than a trade deadline rental where you're only getting a guy for like, you know, at some points, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. The Red Wings and Leafs can solve a couple of each other's problems here. Um, this does seem like the ideal trade partner for both teams. Toronto needs cap space. Detroit has infinite cap space. Toronto needs Tyler Bertuzzi. Well, the Red Wings have a Tyler Bertuzzi. The Red Wings need a backup goalie. The Leafs have a overpaid backup goalie they're trying to unload. So if we start this trade parameters with Tyler Bertuzzi going to Toronto and Peter Morazic coming back to Detroit, there's something very workable there because that's doing Toronto two huge favors, which then means Detroit should get a pretty substantial return. Because you're not Detroit would not be giving up assets to acquire Peter Mrazek. They no. are that is one of those contract dumps where Detroit probably gets an extra asset or a better asset in return. Now you could look at this a few ways. Do the Leafs want to really shuffle things up? Is this a trade that would center around William Nylander, hypothetically? Right. My gut tells me probably not, because if Toronto's moving Mrazek and, and trying to shed salary, it's probably to keep a player like William Nylander while still acquiring a player like Tyler Bertuzzi. That being said, the Leafs also have a lot of their own picks still. Not all, not this year. I think they gave up a couple for Giordano. But they have some to work with, and they have a pretty good prospect pipeline and a lot of good young players. And if you're giving up a player like Tyler Bertuzzi and you're acquiring a bad contract, you're not asking for Toronto's second, third, fourth best prospects. Like You are getting a first-round pick. You might be getting Rasmus Sandin. You might be getting Timothy Liljegren. You might be getting Nick Robertson. You might be getting multiple of those, you know, um, obviously with Rodian Amarov and his health situation, that's probably not a starting point, nor should it be. You don't want to trade a guy in that situation and you don't want to trade for a guy in that situation. So we, we won't get him into these discussions, but there's a lot of possibilities here that uh, we as Red Wings fans should find exciting. Like obviously losing a player like Bertuzzi sucks and that sets your team back, but Man, Toronto has the pieces to make this trade work. Because we were talking about at the deadline when um, the rumors were going around uh, with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And what was our first thought? What the hell do they have to give us for Tyler <laughs> Bertuzzi? Which is what ultimately stalled those conversations. Exactly. Eisenman wanted futures. Pittsburgh was like, no, we want to make a hockey trade. And Eisenman's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. S- Toronto can do either. Yeah. Whatever your flavor is, the Red Wings like, we want to get better this year. All right. You probably don't have to add a whole hell of a lot to Bertuzzi to acquire Mrazic and Nylander, if that's what Toronto's looking to do. And if you're like, no, no, we, we're still in the mode of futures, like I said, lots of options to make that trade work. There's a few caveats here. First of all, like Brad said, this isn't a guarantee that Bertuzzi will be traded. He is a very good player and a very unique type of player. It is hard to be good in the way that Bertuzzi is good, and it is objectively a good thing for your team to have a player like him on your team plain and simple and if you have them it's usually good to keep them also all of this trade talk does not preclude the conversation of an extension might complicate things it might make things easier might things make might make things more difficult if bertuzzi demands too much money or or too much trade protection then that might handcuff eisman and push him one way or the other 
all of that is up in the air. Like you said, it, it, you can go a million directions with that, but it's also, it doesn't eliminate or disqualify the, the contract extension. It's not the perfect example. I don't think it's the same situation, but look no further than Anthony Mantha to know in terms of Eisenman's decision-making and what's possible in the world of trades. Contract doesn't mean staying for sure. Not all the time. Yeah, look, look for those trade clauses. <laughs> yeah. So before you get really upset, if you're keen on keeping Tyler Bertuzzi, so like everyone would love to have Tyler Bertuzzi on their team. It, this is a discussion because, you know, Toronto's in a desperate situation here and Bertuzzi's name has popped up around this before. This is kind of the perfect situation, right? Like Toronto looks to be keeping Dubas. They said they don't want to tear things down, but there is they are looking to make a big move. I'm not saying it's a guaranteed gonna thing it's gonna be a guaranteed guaranteed thing that's gonna happen or that, you know, it's gonna be a fleece, but this is kind of like a sweet spot for Eisman to go in and extract as much as he can out of out of Dubis and the Leafs if they want to move on Bertuzzi. Yeah, and uh, I was just thinking it from it from a Toronto perspective, like why do they even really care if they lose the trade? Right? You don't care about futures if you if you why, need to yeah, just win the cup. Why would they care what Nick Robertson's doing in the AHL if they're going to have a Tyler Bertuzzi that's essentially going to solidify their top six? If you think a player you're trading for moves the needle on a window that you view as rapidly closing and like, hey, they've, they're walking Austin Matthews to unrestricted free agency, you got to make those deals, right? That's, that's when you deal futures. One of the most famous trades in hockey history in the terms of a win-win trade was the Dallas Stars traded Eric Cole for yeah Eric Cole. <laughs> Dallas Stars traded Jerome McGinley as a prospect to the Calgary Flames, and I think they got like a year or two out of Joe Newendike, like an old Joe Newendike. That was the trade, and needless to say, Calgary got way more value out of that trade because they got you know whatever fifteen years out of Jerome McGinley, Hall of Famer. Well, in Joe Newendike's brief time with the Dallas Stars, they won a Stanley Cup. So they probably actually won that trade. And Aginla <laughs> is the poster boy for players who you can't believe didn't win a cup and you wish could have. Yeah. So who got more value in that trade? Calgary. But who won that trade? It might have been Dallas. Well, it was obviously Dallas. So there's a reality, a lot of realities here where it's a win-win trade between Toronto and Detroit. If, if Bertuzzi is that missing piece and Toronto goes on a run next year and then misses the playoffs 10 years in a row, they're not going to be upset. Toronto wins one cup. They don't give a shit yeah. what happens. Oh they could miss For the, the next 15 years. They could miss the playoffs every 50. year. <laughs> That'll <laughs> they, be short. Yeah, it would be. They could miss the playoffs every year until whatever prospect they trade retires and they're still happy and they still probably, quote unquote, win that trade. But, you know, if the Red Wings acquire a Sandine or Robertson or whoever, and they go on to be, you know, top six forward, top four defensemen for 10 years, well, we don't care what Toronto did. It worked for us. So it like very rarely do we see these trade hypotheticals where it just makes too much sense from both sides. But this is kind of that if it's going to be anyone of all the teams that have been rumored, Toronto does seem to be the best match. The only thing working against that is that they're in division. And so yeah. generally you, you'd want to drive a higher price. Oh, that only means Steve Eisenman gets more value. I mean, if it happens, I mean, does Toronto's window and Detroit's window look like it's going to line up? Probably not. So I'm not even sure, though. Toronto's biggest problem is up front. I mean, their power play was not good in the playoffs, and that was maybe ultimately their demise. But I think they need a little bit more solidification of their back end um, in terms of defensemen. So we've got a Mark Stahl who they would probably <laughs> be happy to get. Don't joke, man. Like. 
Tyler Bertuzzi and Philip Peronic for Mitch Marner straight up. Who says no? <laughs> Shh, don't, don't make the joke. Don't jinx it. But I mean, if Toronto's willing to to be a dance partner for a Tyler Bertuzzi and the offer is too good to be true or it, it looks good on both sides, like I don't know why you wouldn't do it if you don't think Tyler Bertuzzi is a long-term solution for Detroit. Uh, Matthew Nyes. Yeah, another fantastic option. And I like the, the Leafs fans who listen to this are going to try to stab me after like bringing up Nyes and, and all their first round picks and things. But you'd have to imagine you have to shoot for the stars in terms of their prospects. I mean, even the good prospects to fill gaps in the trade, if you have to. I mean, Toronto's got Niemela. They've got um, Abruzzese just um, mm-hmm. left Harvard and, and, and joined the Leafs towards the end of the season. Like they are a team that despite not having a lot of high picks is drafted extremely well. So it, it, like I said, it's that perfect scenario of a team or a, a Good team now that still has more than enough futures to make a trade for a significant now player. Well, let's see where this one unfolds. I'm sure there's going to be no shortage of rumors. Um, And if you're angry at that, well, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I promise you, we do not have any influence over what Steve Eisman ultimately decides. So just keep that in your heart when you're writing your angry DM. Still send it. They're fun to to read. Um, Okay. Some other Red Wings news, they finally announced the signing of uh, Pontus Andreasen out of Sweden, who had a fantastic season in the SHL. Um, really great impact over there, which was uh, kind of a, su- a surprise for, for people. Um, 18 goals and 20 assists and 38 points across 52 games there. And in the playoffs, he was a point per game across 13 games. They made a deep run over there. So he's coming over on a one-year deal. Uh, for Detroit, as far as I can tell on uh, Cap Friendly, this is actually a two-year contract, um, you know, minimum 925000 for AAV. So we'll see if he can come in and, and make a dent on this roster, or this might be AHL. You don't know. You kind of have to see how camp goes, right? If he does well there quickly, I mean, the Red Wings roster is in a position where they could bring him up comfortably and it won't matter. Yeah, it's... Like you said, it, there's there's the 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 fact that they made it a two way contract means they're probably expecting him to spend some time in the A. But yeah, who knows? Injury, obviously, as we've seen, injuries happen. Um, this kind of experimental thing of bringing a guy over who's a little bit older. He's only was it twenty four, twenty three, twenty four? Yeah, twenty four years old this summer. Um, he's still pretty young, but later than draft years could be a little bit of a, a gem that they found. And if not, then they need strong pros to play in the AHL as well. So excited to see him. I, everyone over, everyone who's tuned into kind of SHL hockey, European hockey, whether it's Red Wing scouting or people in just the European hockey world seem to be excited about him. So watching with a keen eye. Hey, and he was one of uh, two Red Wings prospects to be finalist for rookie of the year in the SHL. Yeah, him, was he was second. Simon Edvinson was third. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was a Canucks prospect. I forget who. Linus Carlson won it. It doesn't matter. It's rude. I have no idea. Rude. They ruined the Red Wings streak. We still win, though, because we had two. That's right. (laughs) Not Brad Lambert. I almost just said Brad Lambert again. Lane Lambert off the board as a potential Red Wings head coach. We talked about it last episode. I think you said Allison Lucan had mentioned this. I know Jeff Merrick has mentioned this. The New York Islanders have made Lane Lambert their head coach after letting go Barry Trotz not too long ago and have thus stopped another team from poaching Lane Lambert. And by another team, read the Detroit Red Wings were a prime candidate for that. So that's a big name gone right there. Yep. I guess the Islanders were, in fact, 
hoping for Robin. <laughs> it wasn't how you were using the analogy, but it was funny that that was called out. That was called back to right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Lane Lambert off the board. And, and for those who might not know or who are listening for the first time, he has been seen as one of the most likely assistant coaches to make the head coaching jump, having worked under Barry Trotz for so long. Um, what a funny situation where Lambert is off the board and Trotz is still technically available. The one thing that shocked me is Lane Lambert's only like three or four years younger than Barry Trotz. What? Yeah. Everyone everyone builds up an idea because they haven't seen the name. They're like, oh, he must be 30 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Barry's no older than 29. Come on. No, definitely. He's the fountain of youth. Um, they, they build people up to be like young because they haven't seen him as a head coach. They build them up to be like offensively minded because in progressive because they haven't seen him as a head coach. And it's not necessarily true. All the things seem to be the contrary in regard in the actual analysis I've seen of Lane Lambert is that, yeah, yeah he's, um, he's, he's very similar to Barry Trotz. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that unfolds with Barry Trotz because he has interviewed now with Winnipeg and he's been rumored to be attached to Philly actually. So that's another team that's gunning for him that would uh, or would do well to have him. It's funny when I hear Winnipeg is interviewing Barry Trotz. I'm like, that's absolutely the other way around. There's no way Barry Trotz <laughs> isn't choosing his location. A thousand percent. And a reminder before we start freaking out, if the Red Wings interview him, we will never know. That's absolutely right. <laughs> probably it already happened. He's probably been the head coach for a year and we just don't know it. That's And like Barry Trotz is coming from Lula Morello's system. So he has absolutely no problem staying tight lipped. He doesn't exactly strike me as the kind of guy who's going to go around advertising where he's going to interview. Also, uh, it was suggested that maybe going back to Nashville as uh, in management. management. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, he has. Yeah. He, he's he's calling his shot here. That's all it's coming down to. Yeah. Um, and in terms of you know, coaches who are available for to Detroit. I, I'm really excited for everyone to read Prashant's uh, piece, especially as it touches on potential coaches, but some names that have been floating around other than Benoit grew within the Tampa Bay system down in the AHL. Um, Derek Lalonde again, and this, that's not new. I know a lot of you have suggested it. And that was one of the initial names that came out. I think Max wrote about it. Um, Merrick might've said it on, uh, or, or wrote about it. Um, but the Tampa Bay assistant coach for the last, three, four years, something like that. Um, he's been a name that's been attached to Detroit. And same thing there. Eisman knows who he is, knows how he works. If you worked under John Cooper, it's similar to working under Barry Trotz. Insanely successful. Probably bodes well. Any thoughts on uh, on those? Actually, I want to talk about something. I saw Lalonde's name. And I, uh, I saw a few comments saying like, no, we don't want retreads. We don't want the same old names and things like that. And like, look, I also don't want retreads. But when I think of like retreads and coaches that haven't worked out elsewhere and you don't want the same thing, I think of Pete DeBoer, who just got let go by Vegas. I'm like, and, and no offense to Pete DeBoer, he's found a lot of success. People have varying opinions on how much of that was him and how much of that was the teams he inherited. But for a coach coming out of his situation where he's gone through so many teams and the way in which he left, especially here in Vegas, was been contentious with, you know, the whole very kind of awkwardly public thing with with um, Leonard over there. That's the kind of like coaching retread old boy that I don't want coming into Detroit. I mean, Peter Boar is now going to go get hired by the Red Wings, of course. But that's what I'm talking about. But when I think Derek Lalonde, I'm like, no, that to me, that's new. That's something different like that. That that makes sense. It's a good mix of 
experience, knowing who you're getting, but also not just someone who's been tried and recycled by 10 different teams, right? I'm just trying not to pigeonhole myself pigeonhole myself here. I'm open to all options. I'm good with retreads. See trots, comma berry. Right. Yeah. Like um very on board if it's the right guy. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have a lot of interest in DeBoer. Um, although he has a lot of roots in the Detroit area. Um, he got his start in the OHL with the Detroit Junior Red Wings slash Plymouth Whalers um, before he jumped over and was far more successful in Kitchener. Um, but uh, so, you know, we were talking about Paul Maurice having all the Windsor connections. You know, it applies here as well. It doesn't strike me as the Eisman type, to be fair. Um, God knows whatever that is, though. But you yeah, know, if if it's if it's a fresh face like Lalonde who's been under John Cooper's system, if it's Barry Trotz, if it's you know Roger Ronberg, fine. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm I have a mastermind and all these coaching systems philosophies how they're going to do. We're not going to know. It's the it's the widest coaching search you can find in the NHL right now. Exactly. So yeah, I'm just trying to keep as open minded as possible to all options, and there are no bad options here there are just good options and better options and then we just pray they don't go sideways once they get here that's also options from the terms of like who people would want the coach to be yeah a lot of these guys might be like i'm not interested that's right you have to want to come to detroit that's not not saying that it's anything against detroit but they might be like this team's not really where they, they they are in terms of a team and it's just not a good fit for me i will stay with my current position or keep searching like just because you want a candidate doesn't mean the candidate wants the job and a prime candidate for that without again this is pure speculation but barry trotz why would he walk into detroit when vegas is there and they are vegas is a team even though they miss the playoffs this year a healthy vegas probably moves in a couple rounds deep in the playoffs winnipeg questions about how they're constructed but by and large, they should have done a lot better than they did last season. Those are teams that could be viewed as much more competitive. Not even going to get into location and, and taxation and things like that. Because you don't, you never know how much that matters to some guys. And then you have Rod Brindamore taking a willing pay cut, even though he could have demanded millions more. Um, but yeah. And there's also coaches who need to know how much control the GM is going to have over the makeup of the day-to-day roster like some gms are all over it and the some coaches do not want anything to do with that remember uh remember mike babcock and ken holland's kind of public struggles between there were two head coaches on that team and one gm if you ask mike babcock you'd say there's two gms and one head coach yeah you know almost public spats about who comes up who goes down who signs who who trades who like who was the defenseman when they're like he's like oh we already have him his name is so and so, when they're talking about a trade or something, I vaguely remember it being about Xavier Willette or yeah, Ryan some, Sproul. Or yeah, something. something like that. It's like, oh, who are we going to trade? He's like, oh, we already got that person. His name is so and so. Yeah. Like, oh my God, come on. Maybe that fit into the whole Alexi Marchenko saga. Maybe it was our Alexi Marchenko. Could have been it. Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> it's funny. It, it's funny when Fridge was like, uh, you know, getting started out. I'm like, oh, God, we've been going for so long. I'm ready for getting stuff from early years. Yeah. Well, um, plenty to come on on Detroit, that head coaching search. Again, looking forward to Prashant's piece. And I'm sure the news will. By Can't the t- wait till it's someone we don't expect at all. Oh, hell yeah. It's going to be you're already two interviews deep and you just haven't told us yet. Ken Hitchcock. Okay. 
hear me out bring in sutter for the sound bites oh god yes please yeah um okay very quickly here let's talk a little bit about the playoffs as we were recording last episode the penguins and the rangers were going into overtime and the stars and the flames are just starting out the rangers actually ended up winning in overtime 4-3 to move on in game seven and the flames in ot won 3-2 to move on in game seven jake ottinger one of the single-handed best performances I've seen in a series from a goalie, statistically one of the best. If Dallas was, you know, a better team, maybe one of the higher-seeded teams, that is a cup favorite if Jake Ottinger is playing like that on a better team in front you of You can them. say it. If they were any good, they would have yeah. been a cup favorite. Put Jake Ottinger on... Pick a middle-of-the-pack team. They don't even have to be good, right? Jake Ottinger on the Penguins... They thrashed the Rangers. Oh, yeah. thousand percent. Jake Ottinger on the Well, wild. maybe not because he won a <laughs> Shesterkin. Well, <laughs> yeah. You put, you put Ottinger on Carolina, they might go 16-0. Ottinger on, Tam- <laughs> Ottinger on Tampa Bay and that series finishes in five. I don't know. Vasilevsky was good. Mm, he was good when he needed to be at the end. I, I feel like he wasn't the best the whole way through. Anyhow, Ottinger was unreal. The Flames persevered. The shot attempts were like over 100 to – like. Calgary was throwing everything they could at the net. And it's funny that the one that I'm going in was a wide angle shot from Johnny Goudreau. That was just like, it had to be perfect and no one reasonably would shoot from there expecting it to go in either. Any thoughts on uh, the Rangers moving on over the pens or flames over the stars? Uh, Good and good. Um, The Rangers moving on because even though the expected goal share in that series, they got caved. um, Always a fan of seeing the penguins lose. (laughs) Big fan of that. And uh, if Calgary had lost that game and deprived us of the Battle of Alberta, I'd have never never forgiven them. The Battle of Florida and the Battle of Alberta is just absolute peak content for, for a neutral hockey fan. We talked about it before. It is just so good to watch them duke it out. This is the first year where I feel like this stupid divisional playoff format worked out. It's paid off, yeah. yeah. For once. Yeah. If it still feels contrived to me. But I do, if Gary Bettman sat here and said, screw your contrived, we have the Battle of Alberta and the Battle of Florida, I, I honestly couldn't tell him he's wrong. They could have still ended up making it or play one another in the one versus eight anyway. It's just less likely, I think. When you well, mix them be together. better at hockey then. So listen, it's the Edmonton Oilers, man. You got to take what you can get. <laughs> so with those playoffs going on right now, um, we have the second round that started last night. It's going to continue tonight. Um, Colorado ended up taking game one in overtime over St. Louis and Tampa Bay won a kind of a wonky one. It was a little dull, actually. Florida's still doing Florida things. Yeah. They didn't seem tuned in, Florida. That may have been one of the best games I've ever seen Nikita Kucherov play. Kucherov was good in that game. That move on, Ek- was it on Ekblad? Yeah. yeah. He literally stole his soul. Which is the fake inside out. Oh my God. Is that good? And then it was a free goal. I was a Corey Perry who scored. Yeah. Yeah. Easiest goal he'll ever score. Having one of your best defensemen ethered like that to start a series is (laughs) not good. (laughs) Does not bode well. Did you guys see that interference call on the puck that was in the air that was caught? Brutal, 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 brutal call. That was devastating to watch because I'm like, that was a perfectly timed hit. Why don't you ask Braden Shen about the refing so far early in the second round? <laughs> I can't wait to use that clip of him beating the shit out of the camera. Like, just to meme something. Goes in the box and just destroys the, like, well. I it was a bad call, don't get me wrong, but still. It was funny. Is that pass interference or is that the wrong sport? 
Well, he, it was a, it was a, was it a catch? What's the, what do they call it uh, in football? Uh, was it DPI or OPI? You're talking about fair catch. I don't even know. Yeah. It was like, it wasn't got even... stupid catch rules in football that I don't know well enough to make a joke about. Football fans don't even know well no. enough. Okay. Yeah. You know who else doesn't know what the catch rules are? The, in the NFL? <laughs> the NFL. <laughs> yeah. It was, um, it was, I get how they got it wrong, but it still pisses me off that they got it wrong because what a rare play where you're able to line up that hit perfectly. They also got a goalie interference. Don't shut up, Brad. They got a goal interference call so bad after review. I actually don't understand that one at all. He hit him in the head. His head was sideways out. and the puck went in the net. I, I That one I don't get. Like, there's a lot of dumb bullshit where, like, oh, incidental contact, the yeah, yeah. drives the forward into the goalie. This one I actually do not understand. <laughs> All right, Brad. It was unfair for me to tell you shut up. You can go ahead and call me a dumb idiot and you told me so. I actually know definitively why that one stood. Why? Both the Ford's feet were on white ice. Does that even matter? I don't yeah, even know. it matters a lot. If you track the goals that have been getting overturned versus stood this year, that has almost been universal. Is that in the rule book, though? Apparently it is because that, <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> that has been the trend. It's okay. on Google Docs and everyone's got edit access. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But as someone who grew up in the era of Thomas Holmstrom having about half of his goals overturned. I, I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying that's why it stood. Oh. This podcast is slowly descending into Brad, mostly being right. And when he's wrong, he's just right later on. And you and I pretending, <laughs> pretending that he's not. I'll take the ice cold takes immediately. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, okay. We all already have picked our brackets, but throw your bracket away. The four series, Colorado, St. Louis, Calgary, Edmonton, Carolina, New York, and Florida, Tampa. What are your predictions? I'm taking Tampa after game last night. Well, I put my mind out before last night's game, and I regrettably took Florida. Right. I think in seven, I had Carolina in five or six. I had Colorado in like three. <laughs> um, no, I give St. Louis more credit than that. But uh, And in my original bracket, I had Calgary going to the conference finals. But until someone proves to me they can stop Connor McDavid after what he did to L.A., speaking of uh, – being ethered, uh, yeah. the LA Kings. But um, I think I'm going to go Edmonton in seven. Yeah. And there's always one series that plays out exactly how the opposite of how everybody thinks it will. So that's my guess for that one. In all fairness, in, in excluding game one here, I did also say it was going to be Florida. And I, I'll take Florida in six here because I expected a pointless, no, not even a pun, uh, Tampa Bay to struggle and they were going to be tired. So that's already looking stupid. Um, I originally picked the Rangers to go to the conference finals, but I think Carolina's going to make maybe five games, six game work of them. Um, I have Calgary over Edmonton in seven, and I have Colorado over St. Louis in six. I think we're going to have deeper series. I, I think St. Louis doesn't get enough credit as a heavy opponent for Colorado. They got outshot 13 to zero in overtime last night. Yeah, you know, it's still Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but... <sighs> I, I think St. Louis might give them a little bit of a run. Colorado did have terrible luck with shooting. Like they hit like three or four posts in the oh, first yeah, period. Five posts total, I think. Wild. And at one point, the shots were like 40 to 20 or something insane like that. And Jordan Bennington decide, remembered for the first time in two years how to play goalie. Funny goalie, Bennington. Like mostly average, sometimes below average, kind of above. And then all of a sudden, he's playing like he did when they went on their cup run. If he does that all series, that could be problematic for Colorado. Yeah, no shit. Colorado absolutely 
um, speed bagged St. Louis last night and it still went to overtime. That's what the playoffs are all about. I love when that happens. That's that's exactly what uh, Shesterkin did to the Penguins in round one. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are going to jump into a very quick overtime uh, brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to help support the show and allow us to do cool things like interview Elliot Friedman and drop everything and record over a lunch or uh, whatever it is that we're able to do. So patrons are the reason this show has grown and run as long as it has so winged wheel po- sorry patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast and thank you all and it's just a quick note i know we kind of threw a curveball and when we recorded uh, i know not as many of you are able to get your questions in today so apologies we'll make it up to you we'll get a bonus episode for out for you soon and uh, also for reddit we're going to switch back to the sunday episode for for reddit comments okay uh, let's take some questions here. Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, let's pretend Steve Eisman has the fourth overall draft pick in 2019 and Colorado has number six. Hindsight is not a factor. Who does Eisman pick at four and who does Colorado take at six? I'd like to think Eisman still takes cider in this scenario, but I believe that Byram is a Red Wing and that Zegris is on Colorado. I don't think you can divine what Eisman's going to do as a GM, but yeah, Byram would have been the likely option there, right? And Byram has been good. In Colorado, he's just been injured a ton. So, hard to say, but uh, yeah. Uh, you'd like to think it was still Cider because, I mean, they had no qualms about picking a guy who was universally ranked like in the early 20s at six. So, I don't think the extra two spots would have scared them off if that was their guy. Uh, Max A1 million cheese bags says, Hey guys, I met a dub dub fan. Oh, hey. Uh, on Sunday while playing Magic the Gathering in my buddy's basement. Very cool. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, exactly where you'd think you'd find us. Yeah, we are a bunch of dweebs. Um, while I want to say I didn't expect to meet a dub dub fan like that, I can also say it was a surprise. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> Shout out to Phil. Uh, okay, so question. Let's imagine that Lou decided to make the Islanders change because Eisman had reached out with a request to interview Lane Lambert. I can't recall other situations like this where a team made a decision based on inside information due to a request to interview. Assuming that were the case, can you guys think of other situations like this where a coach was promoted because a team knew or feared the coach was going to get poached? Uh, it's. I would say it's more common than you might think. It's just not very well publicized. Teams have a really good stock of who's in their system. You run into situations like, you know, when, when Mike Babcock was in Detroit for a long time and the Red Wings were planning on keeping Babcock, anyone close to Babcock was seen as valuable and was hired out. Like there was a brain drain going on. Uh, yeah, it was that Paul McClain, uh, Todd McClellan, Jeff Blashill. Who else was on Eisen, uh, Babcock's staff that ended up getting <laughs> poached out? And there was like a the, a spree of them all within like a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, Jim Nogue was uh, the right. AGM. Like the Red Wings were the farm team for the rest of the NHL for a while there. Yeah. So teams will take uh, stock and say, can we reasonably keep this guy for like seven years when we need another head coach? No. Okay, then we have to let him go. Or, hey, we might have – and this is just an example – Barry Trotz for at most two more years, but some guys in the room are saying Trotz's voice is getting a bit tired and we can't, we were surprised to even have Lambert this long. Okay. I'm going to pull the trigger. What if Steve Eisenman never had any desire to get Lane Lambert, but actually wanted Barry Trotz? (laughs) That's that 5D chess. I love that is the absolute best tinfoil hat theory you've come up with. Yep. Just force the move. Yeah. Made you flinch. Maybe he's like Lane Lambert isn't actually that good. Can you imagine 
Would it be the world's most boring or entertaining phone call between Steve Eisman and Lula Morello? Oh, I feel like there was 15 words at most. Yeah. Where are Lambert? Lane. No. Available? No. Okay. <laughs> Does Lou have a phone? Does Lou have a cell phone? You, you go to a pay phone at a specific time and it rings and then you pick it up and that's Lou on the other end. You remember that scene in Ocean's Eleven where um, Danny's talking to George Clooney's character is talking to Brad Pitt's character about if they need an 11th guy and Brad Pitt's character doesn't say a single word the entire conversation, but they they have the conversation. Yeah. That's what that's what I picture in my head. Right. Um, Simon says 27 says while listening to the Tampa game, the lightning radio announcer often referred to players by their nickname stammer for Stamkos. Um, is it just me or is that kind of weird when the professional sports broadcasters use nicknames while they broadcast? I've never heard Ken Cal or Ken Daniels do that. Maybe I'm just nitpicking. I don't have a preference either way. I, I, I see the validity to both. I think there's some that are so ubiquitous and like so universal. You're like, yeah, I, I can understand that. If it seems like they're talking to their pals, which I have heard, I'm like, almost like, almost seems like gloating more than anything. I don't know how to explain it. But I, I don't like ever, Stamkos or like Tampa Bay fans will know who Stammer is. And that's how they refer to him endearingly. So I get that. I can't even say I've ever noticed that. Yeah. It kind of just uh, is what it is. Um, okay. And we're going to wrap up here. Um, Babe Landiscog, I'm sorry if I get some of this wrong uh, just by parsing it. it. says, with International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia on Twitter recently, there was some predictable backlash. Just want to say quickly, if you want to grow the game, it should be open to everyone uh anyways there's a lot of lgbtq plus fans on uh fans of hockey chances are you know some if you don't guess what you do now spoiler it's me um and this is from babe Lane Scog. Uh, i'm thankful there are more and more conversations and public initiatives by sports teams to create a more inclusive community to the best game there is um if you get a chance read the full comment and also links to a video to um uh, conversation with brian burke i believe it is so thank you for that comment and uh thank you for that note uh it was nice to see the team recognize that yesterday as well all right uh everyone thank you for bearing with us as we switched up the schedule on you today um and thank you to all of our listeners for the show i have two notes for you if you have listened to this long first um we are looking for some help from those of you who are experienced in not just video editing, but the world of social media content repurposing. So if you have any experience in that and you want to work with us, uh, email wingedwheelpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, use the use like help wanted in the subject line and uh, include somewhat of an application. So some of the work you've done in the past, uh, what your rates are and uh, anything that you've done within the realm of quick clip video editing um, on different social platforms, things like that. Can't guarantee that we'll get back to everyone, but uh, we thought what better way to look for help than inside the community. And second, uh, any audio engineers, Brad and Evan are going to rip their hair out if they have to hear me talk about potential equipment upgrades and which ones to pick. So if you want to reach out to me or the the podcast account on Twitter, uh, I have some questions to ask the real pros. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, all of our patrons, the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring the show, all of our listeners, new and old, to Elliot Friedman for joining the show. Thank you. 
and uh, to all of our name level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake Fur, The Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver for the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam at Jamathong, uh, Matthew M. Rice, Batman Should Lose His Job Based on the Coyotes, Changed My Mind, Billy Howell, Brandon M., Carl Brutan and Aluski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesn It, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, I Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Stay Fresh Greech Bags, Zach Spring, Z- Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evan 56 Degree Loft Singer, Evan's Parking Garage. That's the most clever name we've had so far. My God. Evan's Bingo Card. I like it when you call me Big Chungus. James Laporte, Jeremiah Adobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max, A Million Cheese Bags, Matt, uh, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Ve- Trevor Pebavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. I'm going to have to work my hardest to not have a stay for us cheese bags tick. See you guys Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.